0: Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Page 570. So after having explained in the last few chapters, beginning in chapter 38, that it's not enough to do the mitzvah, but in addition, you also, the intent behind the mitzvah, the motivation behind the mitzvah is key, is essential to performance of the mitzvah. And although... The Talmudic rabbis say that a person should study Torah even for an ulterior motive. Because eventually, if you study Torah with all the wrong reasons, eventually it will lead you to study Torah for the right motive. So you see clearly that even if you study Torah for egotistical reasons, you're not thinking of the divine, you're not motivated, you're not thinking of Hashem. But nevertheless, it's okay because it's the action, it's the deed that matters most. In Judaism, it's the deed that matters most. We're a religion of action. It's not so much the thought or the intent. If you have just the action, you've done the mitzvah. If you have just the thought, you have nothing. So clearly, it's the action that matters. So what difference does it make whether the actions are done with the right intention, wrong intention, no intention right motivation, wrong motivation, or it's just done mechanically and by rote, what difference does it make? The deed is done. It's a fact. I've created facts on the ground. I've done the mitzvah. But you see in this, in this Chazal, in this Talmudic statement, you see the Talmud says that a person should study Torah even in Shalai Lushma, even for an ulterior motive. Why? because eventually you will come to learn Torah with the right motive and do mitzvot for the right proper motive in other words what if theoretically if you would have for the rest of your life you would have studied Torah for the wrong reason then you would not study Torah then better you shouldn't study Torah the only reason that Torah says you should continue to study Torah even for the wrong reason is because inevitably you will come to study Torah for the right reason because the Torah itself will bring you back. And that's why he says, you should always. In other words, there is no other way. It's the only way, the only way a person is going to get a person to study Torah and to do the right thing is if you have an ulterior motive. Because we all start out like children. A child is not capable of comprehending the beauty of music or the beauty of art for its own sake or the beauty of thinking, of thought, of learning, of studying. Uh, the beauty of the divine, to appreciate the divine, is simply not capable. A child can only think in terms of instant gratification, reward, bribery. If you're going to study, I'll give you a sweet. You get a prize, you get a toy, you'll get a trip. That's, the, that's what's going to motivate you. get money. That's what motivates a child. A child can think in any other terms. You used to get Chinese noodles. <laughs> not bad. But the only reason we did the time Because eventually we knew... Inevitably there will come a time... We motivated even without the Chinese noodles. <laughs> <laughs> and Uh-oh. the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> the proof is in the pudding.
2: I kept coming. That.
1: Exactly. Had, if we knew that you would always need Chinese noodles... That would be a question. <laughs> even when we had it... We knew it was only temporary. That's the point. So the example given is the child. Because the child, a minor... Doesn't have mitzvah, can't perform, his mitzvah are inconsequential. A child does not put on fill. A child, a minder that writes a parent's film, that parent's film is not valid, it's not kosher. Why? After all, it's the deed that matters most. A child can act, a child can have intent. Legally, if a child can't have intent, he doesn't have the maturity and the responsibility, but a child can act if action is what matters most and all that matters is the action, why are a child's mitzvot completely inconsequential? Only with the age of bar mitzvah of maturity, of puberty, that's when the child starts maturing and his actions suddenly become consequential. Because that's the point. Action alone is not enough. God wanted we should do the action, we should bring him into this world, but he didn't want us to create a dungeon to bring him into a dark place, a dank place. He wants us to bring him into a home, into a palace, into a beautiful, beautiful place. He wants it to be spiritual and inviting and warm. And an adult, when he reaches the age of maturity of 13 or for a girl of 12, when the first stirrings of their soul, when their soul bursts out into their consciousness, when they start uh, sensing that there's something more than beyond what's beyond the sensory world there's a whole reality that starts relating to godliness it's the beginning when a child when an animal reaches puberty life is over no surprises when a human being reaches puberty life begins even though today we're trying to go back society is trying to become more (laughs) animal-like trying to become natural more animal-like as a matter of fact Egyptian society they worship the animal Beatific, become natural, animalistic, animal-like. And that's the ideal. When you reach puberty, your life is over. There's no, nothing left to imagination. <laughs> There's nothing left. All there is is, you know, that's reducing reducing everything to the, to the simplest, the most minimalist, to the materialistic, everything to materialism, biology. But the truth is, a human being is not like an animal. At the age of maturity, that's when life begins. That's the most exciting part of your life. That's when your mind opens up and you start realizing and intimating. There's a reality. There's something greater than us. You start wondering. You start seeking, searching. That's, that's the search for knowledge, the search to know yourself, the search to understand, to comprehend, the search to grasp. That's, that's when your life begins. That's the most exciting part of your life. the teenage years, the most exciting... Your mind opens up to realities, and you start exploring yourself and the world around you. It's 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 the opening, the great opening. So it's only then that you have intent, that you have the stirring of the soul, and only then could the mitzvah does the mitzvah it, the mitzvah become consequential. Does the action of the minor become is no longer minor? Now this action becomes consequential. The mitzvah now you can draw godliness and holiness into this world so you see it's an essential thing so don't, don't make this mistake that's why he's been spending the last three chapters after spending the three chapters before that explaining that the deed is what matters most and the action is what matters most and that's the whole intent to bring God into this physical material world by doing the action and the deed but then he says with the counter thing it's not just enough to have action you need soul, you need intent you need spirit as well you need egolessness and it's only then that the mitzvah is complete yes, the Torah says a person must Always study Torah for a loterian motive. And that's the only way. Because yes, we all start out as children. And as a child, we must be bribed and seduced into doing the right thing. Studying and doing the right thing. With, with the confidence, inevitably you will reach a stage, you'll reach a point where you can just shed it. That's why the Talmudic rabbis compare ego, arrogance, sometimes it's beneficial. It's like the stalks to the wheat, the kernel. You need, this kernel needs its shell. Without a shell, the kernels can't grow. One rain, it'll destroy the whole kernel, the whole gr- budding kernel of grain. One strong wind, one icy cold winter, and that's it, it's all over. It needs the protection of the shell. But well, what happens once the shell grows and ripens within... And that once the kernel grows and ripens within the shell, what happens? You discard the shell, and you take out, you extract the kernel. And that's all, that's all you care about is the kernel. Everything else is garbage. It was external. So yes, the, the ego serves a purpose. You need ego. To start out, to initiate your contact with the divine... We're children. We need ego. We need selfish motivations. I want to be an ego. I want to be a somebody. I want to be knowledgeable. I want to be a scholar. I want to be somebody. I want to be spiritual. I want to be holy. I want to get a prize. I want to get a reward. Whatever your ulterior motive is, it's the only way. You can't start out otherwise. But eventually, inevitably, you'll reach a point where you'll discard it. I don't need these superficial motivations anymore. You come? I that inevitably...
3: No, no, the ego. You always have an ego. The ego, you're always motivated to do something, knowledge, money, you know, doing good deeds, whatever. There's a self-ego why you do it,
1: but you wouldn't do it. Well, the ideal it's is... The,
3: you know, recognition. Whatever it is, it might not be the ideal, but that's a very... You cannot dismiss the ego of 13. 12.
1: No, no. But it's the beginning. It's the first stirring. So it's the beginning of your life. It's not the end of your life. But it's the first stirring of your soul. It's the first... Um, curiosity or awareness that there's something more than meets the eye. It's the beginning of self-knowledge. It's the beginning of an awareness that there's a soul there's something deeper. It's the opening of the mind, the first stirring of the soul which leads you in a path. The ideal path for a Jew is to serve God without any ulterior mind. And just like just like a person in the beginning, you're not interested in learning. You force yourself. You're disciplined. You have, you have, you're seduced. you you have motives, but then there comes a point in your life where something clicks inside. I just enjoy learning. I just enjoy the thought process. I enjoy figuring things out. I enjoy spending time in it. Or music. You know, There comes a time where, you know, where you, you, your parents force you when you go through them when you do it and you do it. But then there comes a moment when it hits you. People who stay with it. There comes a moment when music hits you and then you're like hooked. I don't need any exterior motives. I just, I just love it. I just enjoy it. It's for its own sake. That is the ideal, and we could reach that ideal. We should reach and aspire to reach that ideal. If we remain all our life, like childish, it reaches a point where you can't serve God because I'm going to get a reward, because I want to be famous, because ego. There comes a point where you just you do it for its own sake, not because, what am I going to get out of it?
3: You can say, I enjoy it. That's why, I, nothing wrong with
1: that. Okay. I enjoy learning. Okay. Be, uh, so, right. But so you don't... But you do not
3: be the highest level of learning. But you
1: don't... Which child enjoys learning? Naturally. Doesn't come natural. You have to acquire it. Which child naturally enjoys learning? You have to bribe them. You get a good prize, you'll get a reward, you'll be acknowledged, you'll be an A student. But it then there reaches a point where you just enjoy it. You don't need any ulterior motive. You know what? Even when school is over, I'm still gonna learn. Even when there's no tests and there's no school and there's no, there's no marks, and so, I, I just enjoy taking a book and reading and learning and thinking. That's the ideal. That's what education tries to reach. Otherwise, it's not an education. If you never reach the point where you're just doing it for marks and for scores and for acknowledgment, then it's not education. If you close the books and you finish the school and you close the book and you never read a book again, then, then it's not an education. That's totally superficial. All of that superficiality is to get the reach, help you reach the point where you become a student for the rest of your life. On your own. You're not doing it for anyone else. You're not doing it to please anyone. No one's even going to know about it for yourself. You just enjoy reading, thinking. You enjoy the music. You enjoy, you, you enjoy learning for its own sake. That's the ideal. But, that's, but it, it's a process. Education is a process. You can't jump from here to there. You can't jump onto the roof. You have to first go. First, you have to crawl, and then you have to walk, and then you can run the marathon. So the ideal is to run the marathon. The ideal is you should develop a, a taste for it on its own. You should realize you have a relationship with Hashem, and you enjoy that relationship, and you love that relationship, and you think about that relationship, and it's meaningful to you, your relationship to Hashem. But which child, which ten-year-old, is thinking about a relationship with Hashem? I mean, who are we kidding? He's thinking about Disney World, he's thinking about his next trip, his next prize, is, he's going to get you know, acknowledged, he's an A student. But, but eventually, all of that external is very nice. That, that's the example of the... It's the shell of the kernel. You need that shell. That shell is very, serves a very important purpose. You can't grow a pure kernel of wheat. It'll be destroyed. You'll nip it in the bud before it even starts blooming. You have to protect it, and then it starts blooming. And then, once it's ripe, then you shed. Then I don't either. Then need the shaft. The shaft is gone. All I have is the kernel. And that's it. It nurtures you and it sustains you. So that's the process. That's what i saying. Education is a process. There is no shortcuts. You can't skip any step in your development. If you think you're going to cut out the ego and just go straight to purity, it's not going to happen. It can't. That's not the way God made us. So you have to go slowly but surely. But knowing that the goal is, the goal is, You don't need any of these supports and these external supports, and it's very possible to reach that level. Absolutely, that is the ideal. Just like you enjoy learning, you also reach a level where you enjoy your relationship with Hashem. You have a marriage to Hashem. It's precious to you. You love the relationship. You love the the connection. Exactly, that is the reward in itself. That's the ideal. I do the mitzvah because that is the reward It's like in a marriage, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I'm strengthening the marriage I don't need any ext- that, that is the point That is the ideal But to get to that ideal you need external rewards I'm going to do this because I'm going to be famous I'm going to do this because it's, it's rewarding I'm going to do this because, because of this, that and the other That's fine, it's culture, it's okay as a matter of fact there is no other way it's not like it's not only it's okay the Talmud says there is no other way this is the only way you're ever going to reach the goal you need that that uh, a shell to coach you along and to allow slowly but surely the c- kernel to develop once it's ripe and it's developed then you don't need the externals anymore then it's an end in itself then, then you're, you're home free that's exactly the point so that's why you need both but you need both so yes the action is what matters most but let's say if you were doomed for the rest of your life that the action would always be external and always superficial and always egotistical and always, you know, then then that's not the point. That's not what God wants. God wants you should do the mitzvah and you should do it wholeheartedly, you should do it sincerely and you should mean it and you should... Love it, and you should think about Hashem. Think about your marriage to Hashem. And it's a reward in itself, and it's a connection. And it's you consciously think about it. And it's it's a live relationship. It's a vibrant relationship. There's electricity there. It's real. It's alive. It's, it's full of energy. Full of life. It soars. It's 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 it's, it's beautiful. It's po- there's poetry. There's music. There, there, there's there, there's energy. There's spirituality. There, there's feeling. There's mindfulness. There's awareness. There's consciousness. That's what God wants. Not just do the mitzvah. Well, I pay my income taxes. What's the difference? How I do it? What I do it? I just did the right thing. It's mechanical. It's by rote. That my heart is not into it. I couldn't care less. As long as I got the deed done. No, that's not enough. That's like a trial. That's like a minor. If you were condemned to be a minor for the rest of your life, the mitzvah of a minor are inconsequential. You need an action that's filled with life, filled with soul, filled with energy. That's the ideal. That's the goal. In order to get there, you have to go through the, all these stages. As he says, with this introduction, now we'll understand why the love and awe of Hashem, why they can call the wings. Okay, continue.
2: This explains clearly why fear and love are figuratively called wings, as it is written, and with two wings he flies alluding to the two midot of love and fear. As Rabbi Chaim Vital of Blessed Memory stated in Shahr HaYi Shudim, For wings are for a bird what arms are for a man. Just as it is written, Chesed, corresponding to love, is the right arm, and Gevura, fear, the left arm. Similarly, the wings represent these two midot." He also explained in Zohar, that those who engage in Torah and Mitzvah out of fear and love are called children. Otherwise, if their Torah and Mitzvah lack the fear and love of Hashem, they are called fledglings who cannot fly.
1: The wing is not part of the bird. A bird is whole without its wings. But the wing, without the wings, he can't fly. He can't soar. He remain grounded so too the mitzvah itself that's the bird that's the deed the action that matters most not the intent not the spiritual intent but the physical the, material, the act the facts on the ground but nevertheless in order for the mitzvah to soar the mitzvah needs wings otherwise the mitzvah remains grounded the mitzvah is stuck in the physical world it remains stuck in this world it can't fly there's no sensitivity, there's no spirituality, there's no energy, there's, no, there's nothing to lift the mitzvah up. The mitzvah remains flat in this world. So you need the wings. So it's a very apt analogy.
3: Is that good to, um, out of fear and love, We call it child and children?
1: You know? no. oh, fear, and love, fear and love is not fear of punishment. Fear of punishment is, is ego. <laughs> it's, it's pure ego. I'm not thinking about God, I'm thinking about myself. And if love is, you know, I want to get rewarded, that's also ego. We're talking about awe, a sense of awe. The presence of Hashem. You feel Hashem's presence. Like it says in the Code of Jewish Law, you wake up in the morning, you should feel Hashem's presence. If you're standing in the presence of greatness, imagine if Einstein was standing right in front of you. How would you feel? Imagine, you know. What's
3: higher Milo. Love or fear?
1: Well, each one has an advantage over the other. Each one has a certain advantage over the other, which we'll elaborate in the later chapters. But you need both just like you have a right arm and a left arm. You can't fly with one wing. <laughs> you need both. You need them to balance. A person who only has love up in his life, doesn't have any sense of awe, a person who, who has an excessive awe but has no love, it's no good. We have societies like that. In Russia, it was all fear. There was no love. In America, it's all love. There's no fear. <laughs> you know, and you have unbalanced societies, unbalanced people. A person needs a balance. You know, You need both but that he's going to elaborate on in the later chapters very specifically the awe, different levels of awe but here very clearly we're not talking about fear of punishment fear of punishment is, is, is ego that's not what he's talking about that, those are not wings that soar they keep you grounded it's about yourself you think about yourself you're not thinking about God we're talking about a sense of Hashem a sense of awe of Hashem's presence when you see something vast and huge and infinite you just humbled you know, and it just puts you into place it's a reality check, you know. It puts you, puts you. It really grounds you. A person who has no sense of awe in his life, and no sense of something greater than himself, you grow too overconfident, too cocky with yourself. It's very, very important for a person to have that sense of, you know, those, those butterflies in your stomach. You know, I,
3: I always thought awe was, was you know, awe and love. Awe is a greater attribute than love. So that's, according to Torah, you know. So you it's love somebody, you know, is it better to have awe of somebody or have love Respect. Somebody? The better you respect. Have, you're, you're better off for your own good to have awe of that person. And, and they, even in, in negotiations or something like that, if you love somebody, you're more likely to compromise.
1: Well, Stalin says, as long as they respect me. I don't care if, I don't care if they love me, <laughs> as long as they fear me. <laughs> yeah yeah there is uh, awe is much is much more profound but you know we'll get into that uh, as we go later he goes very in depth in different levels of awe and love and know, which right, one and one, which one is greater like
3: bench Shodesh, right says, uh, you know, but you need both here he's
1: saying place. you need both you can't have one yeah, without Hashem right, right there. you need both because you have positive mitzvot and you have prohibitions what's the motivation we already learned in chapter 4 what is the motivation to do all the positive mitzvot love you want to love Hashem, so you want to connect with Hashem. And how do you connect with Hashem? By doing a mitzvah. Because of your awe of Hashem, that's gonna stop you. That those are the boundaries, the red lines are gonna stop you from trespassing, from tra- transgressing, and violating the three hundred and sixty-five Avais. You need both. You can't have one it's not one or the other. It's both. Two wings. Restraint, you need a break, and you need you need an accelerator, you need a break. You need a right hand to give, and you need a left hand to restrain. A person needs both. You need that balance. Otherwise, you're completely unbalanced. You, know, you need both wings. So one brings a sense of love and expansion. The other one is a sense of humility, a sense of egolessness, of going beyond your ego. It's like breathing in and breathing out. You, know, you need both. You can't have one without the other. To be a whole Jew, you need both. But he's saying it's like the wings. Without the wings, you don't fly. Without the wings, you're grounded. The mitzvahs go nowhere. They stay stuck. They're stuck in this material realm. They don't soar. They don't go up. that's why you need both, okay? Read the note. In this
4: note, the Revi elaborates on the correspondence of wings to fear and love. He quotes Tikkuni T'ohar, where the subject is treated extensively. In Tikkun 45, it is written that the figure of a bird represents the archangel Metatron. His head is a letter Yud of the divine name Yud, te-be-te. the Yud representing Chofma, his body is the Vav, the Sixth Midot, and his two wings are the two letters He and He, representing bina and Malchut, respectively. This corresponds to the world of Yitzira, which is called Metatron. Thus, applying the various elements of the figure to their corresponding aspects in Yitzira, we obtain Vav. The body of Metatron represents the body of the laws in the Mishnah. Since Mishnah is at the level of Yitzira, as will soon be explained. For the body of the laws, i.e. the actual rulings determining what is permitted or forbidden, who is guilty or who is innocent and the like, are related to the Midot, which are represented by the letter Vav. His head represents intelligence, the level of Chabad, which are in terms of the Mishnah, the inner depth of the laws, their esoteric meaning, and their reasons. The two wings denoting flight, namely fear and love, represent, respectively, the higher hay, which is an allusion prevalent in the literature of the Kabbalah to love, and the lower hay alluding to the lower level fear, namely the yoke of the heavenly kingdom, and the dread of Hashem, similar to the dread of the king. Such fear is extended and revealed, and is therefore alluded to by the lowest level, i.e. a letter of the divine name. Higher level fear, however, meaning awe consisting of shame before Hashem's greatness, is of those hidden matters belonging to Hashem our Lord it is on the level of supernal wisdom alluded to by the Yud of the four letter divine name blessed be he as is written in Ra'aya Mahemna
1: he's saying there are four levels there is the head which represents the Yud the body the emotions represents, represented by the Vav the six emotional characters and then you have the two Hay. the upper He is love because there is no greater service than the service of love. Love you have to develop, you have to cultivate, to develop a sense of love, a feeling of closeness, of attraction, of relationship. That's something you have to work on. And then you have the lower level of awe, which is a sense of Hashem's presence, respect for Hashem, um, that Hashem is standing over you. So he says, although there's a fifth level, and that's the level of the higher level of awe, When you literally sense Hashem's presence, and you're overwhelmed by His infinite presence, when you sense how infinite Hashem is, and how absolute Hashem is, and from Hashem's point of view, there's no other reality but Hashem. Nothing really exists but Hashem. We're not not even like a body in relationship to the soul, in relation to Hashem. There is no body. All there is is Hashem. The whole world dissolves. The whole universe dissolves. There's nothing before Hashem. When you sense that, you're completely overwhelmed and overawed and completely nullified. There's no ego. Sense of egolessness. So that's a fifth level. You have the, the, the mind. Then you have the Mishnah. The Mishnah is kosher, not kosher. The emotional, good, not good. I like, I don't like. I'm attracted, I'm not attracted. I could approach, I can't approach. Kosher, not kosher. Pure, Impure. Guilty, not guilty. Obligated, not obligated. These are all emotional um, halachas based on emotional. And and then you have the reasoning behind these laws. Then you have, in addition to studying Torah and doing the mitzvah, you need the wings that help the mitzvah soar. In other words, what's the motivation? Why are you doing the mitzvah? Why are you doing the right thing? Why are you studying the Torah? Because you love Hashem? Because consciously you're thinking about Hashem and you love Hashem? Or because consciously you're thinking of the fact that uh, you're out of respect for Hashem? so those are the wings that cause the mitzvah to soar to elevate but then there's a fifth level and that's the higher level of fear or we completely become completely nullified completely egoless before Hashem so he says that's really there's the yud and then there's the edge of the yud the crown of the yud above the yud that's really beyond the yud so it's not really part of the four letters it's really it's a level that's even beyond the yud it's a level that's even beyond understanding. That's um, the window to the soul. That's already the connection to the infinite, that sense of overwhelming presence of Hashem, how Hashem is completely transcendent and infinite and totally beyond the world and completely, you know, you can't even say that Hashem is even transcended from the world. Hashem is so beyond the worlds and all reality dissolves and all there is is Hashem and there's nothing but Hashem. And we're not even like a body in relation to the soul. All there is is the soul. All there is is Hashem. Once you really get that, you completely nullify. There is no ego. There's no I. There's nothing but Hashem. All there is is Hashem. So that's really beyond letters. You're talking about something that's undefined. That's touching already something much more core and essential, the subconscious, if you will. You're dealing with something much, much deeper. Something so profound, so beyond any of the, even the even the letter yud. It's the top of the letter yud. The crown of the letter yud a hint, something that the Yud hints at. You can only hint at it. It's a level you can only hint at. You can't even articulate or define or bring down into letters or words. It's beyond words, beyond definition, beyond description, that sense, overwhelming sense of Hashem's reality, absolute reality. So that's only hinted at by the Yud. That's the top of the Yud. That's the fifth level. You can't reach that
3: through the love
1: of God? You can't reach that through?
3: Can you reach that through the love of God?
1: No. Beyond. It's, beyond. it's beyond. It's beyond. Because love is, there's an ego. Love is, there is an entity that loves. The higher level of awe, there is no entity, there's no ego. There's no, all there is is Hashem. <laughs> to reach such a level, complete egolessness, complete self nullification, love means there's somebody, there's somebody who's loving. There's two people who have a relationship there's you and there's I there's an entity outside of Hashem that's attracted to Hashem that loves Hashem that's consumed by Hashem that that's, tries to because, draw close to Hashem the higher level of, of Yira there's complete egolessness there is no I who is getting close to Hashem there's no one but Hashem it's that, it's that overwhelming sense of Hashem where there's a complete loss of there's no, no sense of I there's no sense of ego so that's beyond that's beyond the love it's beyond it's beyond any of these levels that's why it can only be hinted at by the Yud. The top of the Yud the hints at it. It's only a hint because he can't put it into words. He can't articulate he can't put it into words. It's something that's beyond definition and description. So, but these four levels are levels of the letters, of the words, words. A level you can describe, define, grasp, and relate to, and connect with on a conscious level. So these are the wings that cause the Torah and the mitzvah to soar, to fly. And now he explains.
5: The wings of a bird are not its main components. Its life does not depend on them at all. For as the Mishnah implies, a bird whose wings were removed is kosher.
1: It doesn't say it openly in the Mishnah. The Mishnah discusses if the wings are broken. If the legs are broken, it's a question if it's kosher, the animal's kosher or not. But if the wings are broken, the animal's kosher. <laughs> How much more so if the wings are not there? If you clip the wings off the bird is kosher you can live a bird can live without wings the bird is not considered a trey it's not considered defective it doesn't have wings so you see wings are almost incidental you can live without wings so the bird can fly it's still a bird 100% bird 100% healthy intact so you see that's the analogy that the mitzvah I don't need the mitzvah is a mitzvah the deed is a deed whether you do it with the proper intention not the proper intention it's the deed that matters most you do the deed, you're on the train, you made, it to this, to the, you made it to the plane, you're on, you're in. Maybe you're in fifth class, but you're in. Versus if you have all the intent in the world, and all the meditation in the world, and all the spirituality, and all the love in the world, and the high levels of consciousness, but you don't do the mitzvah, you miss the boat, you miss the plane, you miss the train. You're out. 100% out. So the deed is what matters. The deed is the bird. Yeah,
3: but you were sitting in first class, second class, and third class. Dependent upon the
1: intent. Absolutely. But you know what? Once you're on the plane, you can always upgrade. <laughs> as, long as, <laughs> as long as you have the mitzvah, then you, can always, then you can always, then it's easier to upgrade. But if you miss the mitzvah, you miss the plane, uh, you, yes, you, you, then you're out, finished, there's nothing, you have zero. And you and, and can never go back. You missed it. You, you're finished. You're done. You're, you're out of the picture. So
3: your intent can increase over time. Exactly. So
1: exactly. If you're, you have no intent, you, just, you, know, you grew up religious and you're just going through the motions and you're just doing, you have no positive intent but you have no negative intent. You're not doing it out of ego. You're not doing it out of any love for Hashem. I'm just doing it because this is the way I grew up. I'm trained. In that case, it's very easy to later on add the intent. Because it's like neutral, it's not, there's no negative energy, there's no positive energy, it's stuck, the mitzvah is stuck. The moment you attach it to an intent, if you do, if you learn the same thing and now you learn it with, with the motivation, Allah for Hashem, you elevate all the previous actions you upgrade from 5th class to 1st class. But even if you actually had a negative intent, you were motivated by ego, by arrogance. You want to show off. You want to be a show off. You want everyone to respect you. you, want you or it's a career. The Torah became a career for you. You're not thinking about God. You know, it's the last thing on your mind. Or you're thinking about it, it's me, myself, and I. It's a career thing. I'm going to be a rabbi. A career. So it's so far from, from divine. It's so far from the truth. From what it really is. But never, So therefore in that case you have to do teshuvah. You have to do an act to change that negative energy. But once you do teshuvah and you change the negative energy. Then again, the mitzvah you have. The mitzvah you have, that's why the Torah says a person should study Torah even for the wrong intention, even with a negative intention. There's different levels of wrong intention. Wrong intention could be like a child. He's motivated, he wants to have a candy. Not so terrible. Then you can have even a lower level. You, you know, you want to show off. you want to But nevertheless, the Torah says even in such a case, you should study Torah. Because once you have the deed, the Torah promises inevitably every Jew will do the truth. Since the Torah promises everything will do teshuvah, the, the deed you have, so it's just a matter of doing teshuvah and then re-elevating from that negative place, taking it and upgrading it back where it belongs in first class. But if you do, if you miss the deed, then it's too late. Then you can't help it. You missed it. You didn't do it. Nothing I can do. You missed the boat.
0: Does shma include if you do it, if somebody does it because they want to be on the plane?
1: Yeah. What do you mean you want to be on the plane? You want to connect with Hashem. <laughs> Okay. You want to, You want to. Yeah. You want to be. You want to. You want to.
0: But what if somebody does it just out of fear? Okay. Fear is. Fear,
1: fear is. Hashem. I mean, the lightning is going to strike. Hashem will yeah. punish you. That's ego.
0: So what's fear of Hashem?
1: Fear of Hashem is the lowest level, which we're going to learn in the next chapter. Is respect. Respect Hashem. I respect Hashem is a reality I respect fear that lightning is going to strike or God is going to strike me and God is going to hurt me then that's that's ego I'm not thinking about the divine I'm thinking about myself I don't want to get hurt yes I believe that God is, could strike me fine but, but the motivation behind the mitzvah was personal selfish nothing to do with the divine I don't want to get hurt it's very smart it's very wise but it's nothing to do with the divine it's a very dark mitzvah. It's a very dark place. I'm not doing it. There's no love behind it. There's no sense of the divine. The minimal, and that's what that's what we're going to learn in, in chapter 41. A very powerful chapter, very profound. But we'll get into it when we learn that chapter. Is respect. That's the minimal. That's the baseline. That's the foundation. That's without that, there's nothing. A Jew has no respect for Hashem. No conscious sense of respect for Hashem. Hashem's presence. Hashem's reality. Has no connection to holy. Anything beneath that is completely egotistic. Fear of punishment. I'm gonna get reward. That's, that's, that's ego. I'm not thinking about divine, thinking about myself.
5: Rather, the the main parts are its head and the rest of its body. The wings merely serve the head and the body, enabling them to fly. Likewise, with Torah and mitzvot, constitute the essential supernal union by the revelation of supernal will, which they cause fear and love like wings, merely elevate the Torah and mitzvah to a place where this will, blessed of light, and this unity can be revealed, namely, Yetzirah and Bria.
1: The body is the mitzvah that's the deed. But in order to elevate this, bird can soar, that the mitzvah should be able to fly, and should soar, and should elevate your soul. and that you need energy. You need to do the mitzvah with the right intent. It has to be an illuminated mitzvah. That's the, you have to bring, shed light. It to bring light into this world. You have, to, you have to light up, warm. You have to make this world a warm place, a light, illuminated place. Where Hashem says, I feel at home here. It's a beautiful palace, an inviting place. That you need your personal subjective involvement. Your egolessness and your sincerity and your genuineness and your, and your depth and, and what you bring to the experience. How you do the mitzvah with focus and concentration and awareness and, and love and, and motivation, the right motivation, that causes the mitzvah to soar and to be elevated. That brings a lot of light. Suddenly that mitzvah is alive. There was a story I believe of Leritsa Barditcher. Once he was traveling and he didn't have tefillin, or he left, left his tefillin, or he got lost. So, in the olden days, a person died and, you know, many people didn't have children or whatever, so the Chavra Kadishu would take his tefillin, and they always had this tefillin. So the Chavra Kadishu says, you know what? We'll bring you a tefillin, and you choose whichever tefillin you want, you know, the great rabbi. Anyway, Rabbi Yitzhak looks at the tefillin, and suddenly he touches one tefillin and says, I want these tefillin. Whose tefillin? Of course, he wants it, and they gave it to him. This in this film, There was something very special about this tfil, Very holy What was it? What, was it? what happened was <coughs> That the two brothers, Rabbi Zushar and Rabbi Limelech Who were colleagues of Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya They were all students of Rabbi Dov the Magad of Mizritch, used to go around, travel And they used to um, try to bring Jews back to Yiddishkeit In their own way And what happened was They would never rebuke someone directly If they saw a Jew needed rebuking, one brother would start talking to the other and start talking about himself. Oi, I did this terrible thing and I did this terrible thing, I did this terrible thing. Anyway, they stop at an inn and the brothers felt, they knew by divine inspiration that this Jew, his tefillin, were invalid. He never once in his life put on a kosher pirtz film. He was already an older guy in his 60s and his 70s. So they start, sat in his, in his, he's able to hear, you know. And one brother starts crying, Oi, what am I going to do? I had these tfil all these decades. I never once checked them. And I just checked them and I realized they're empty. There's nothing inside. All my life I haven't put out tfil in. Oi, woe, woe is to me. What's going to be? Meanwhile, this Jew is listening. He was innkeeper, innkeeper. He says, You know, come to think of it, I never checked my tfil since my. But mitzvah already, 50, 60 years. So he runs to the brothers, he's shaking, he says, please do me a favor, please check my twilight. He's for sure. He opens the twilim. It's empty. He almost faints. Can you imagine? A drew all his life, never once put a film. So they said, he started crying. He says, What am I gonna do? He says, Don't worry, we'll write you a paired We'll write you a parsha. On the spot, they wrote him a parsha. And they left this Jew put on the tefillin once and that was it he died these tefillin that they wrote they put so much holiness into this tefillin because he had to make up for 50, (laughs) 60 years of not putting on tefillin so the intent the heart and soul that they put into this tefillin the holy brothers they put their whole being into this tefillin Rabbi Levi Yitzchak felt right away when he touched these tefillin he felt this tefillin and this tefillin. There's some, these tefillin are, like, are like, like giving off nuclear energy. They're like shining. They're illuminated. There's holiness. You sense it. You feel it. So that's the idea of a wing. Of course, a mitzvah is a mitzvah. Moshe Rabbeinu puts on tefillin and we put on tefillin. The exact same tefillin. But could you compare Moshe's tefillin to our tefillin? the holiness that they put in, it, that film shines, rays, beams of light, it's illuminated, it's powerful, it wakes you up, it, it, it shakes you, It uh and, uh, you know, when the Jew died, the Heber took that film, they didn't know it was anything special, you know, <laughs> they took one to no one, the felt right away that these films are special. So, a Mitzvah, of course, all Mitzvahs are divine, but when, without wings, yes, you have the bird's, all mitzvahs are holy and all mitzvahs are divine and you have the mitzvah the connection to Hashem but you need the wings when you have the wings suddenly it's an illuminated mitzvah it's full of life energy it brings light into this world it's a palace this mitzvah is a palace for Hashem so that's up to the person depending on your level depending how much intent you put into the mitzvah how much love you put into the mitzvah how much motivation godly motivation you put into the mitzvah And based on that, that's the amount of godliness you're going to draw into this world. That's how much light you're going to bring into this world. How much holiness you're going to bring into this world in a a, a revealed way. So that's the analogy. You see, every every analogy in the Torah is so perfect. It's so precise. It's not just... It's wings. That's why the Zohar refers to the love and awe of Hashem as wings. Because that's all they are. It's wings. It's not an end in itself. Imagine if a bird only has wings. (laughs) What's wings without? What's a bird without? What's a, a wings without a bird? A wing it tastes good. That's about it. You have nothing. What's a bird without wings? A bird, a hundred percent bird. The mitzvah is what matters. But nevertheless, without the bird, without wings, the mitzvah the bird is grounded. Can't fly. When you have wings, you can soar. You can go climb high. You can. It's a whole different world. You see a whole different reality. See a whole different picture. You see the bigger picture. It's all different world. That's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants a Jew to soar. Hashem wants a Jew to be spiritual. Hashem wants a Jew to be in tune, to be you know, tune in your radio, to different frequencies, the frequency of the divine. You should be in tune with the divine. You should sense the divine. You should be conscious of the divine. You should be aware of the divine. You should love. You should be attracted to it. You should. Be repulsed by anything that's the opposite of the divine. And then your life becomes illuminated, then the mitzvah becomes illuminated. The mitzvah itself is a radiating mitzvah. It radiates, it shines, it illuminates. Okay, now we come to the note. To his
0: statement that Tari'ah and Ritzivah are the place to which Torah and mitzvah are elevated, and where the union caused by them is revealed, the Altar Rebbe adds. Or even in Asiyah, in the ten holy spirit of that world, the abode of the mitzvot consisting of action. Performing these mitzvot out of submission to the heavenly yoke elevates the mitzvot to the spirit of Asiyah and reveals the supernal union there. For such submission is related to God's attribute of sovereignty, malchut, which pervades Asiyah. Moreover, these mitzvot are performed at the level of action which corresponds to Asiya. Likewise with the study of Scripture, this too is related to Asiya. But in the case of Mishnah, the union and the blessed of light are revealed in Yitzira, for the halachic rules contained in the Mishnah are derived from the Midot. The attribute of Chesed dictates that a particular object be deemed koshy, or a litigant judged innocent, while Gavura Dictates that if he ruled on kosher and the litigant pronounced guilty, and so on, the Mishnah is therefore on the level of Yitzira, the world of Midot. In the case of Talmud, the union and Ein Sof light are revealed in Beria, for the Talmud seeks out the logic underlying the Mishnahic law. It's thus related to Chabad, which are manifest in Beria.
1: Just like he says. There's a difference how a person studies Torah, how you do a mitzvah. Whether you do your mitzvah with your intent, with your mind, with awareness, whether you do a mitzvah with love, with heart and feeling, heart and soul, or whether you just do the mitzvah with action, with respect. Depending on the level of kavanah, the level of intent, that's the level with through which the mitzvah are going to be elevated. If you do the mitzvah out of a sense of respect of Hashem, the mitzvah will be elevated to the lowest level of holiness, the level of holiness in the world of action. If you do the mitzvah with a sense of love, your heart is on fire, sense of love for Hashem, the mitzvah are elevated to a higher world, the world of yitzira. If you do the mitzvah with 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 intellect, with awareness, then the mitzvah goes straight to the world of B'riah. So too you have in the subject matter itself. Within the Torah itself, you have different levels. You have the Mishnah. The Mishnah, first you have the the Torah. The written Torah. The Sefer Torah. Sefer Torah, it's all about the letters. It's the writing. The parchment, the ink on the parchment. It's not about understanding. A Sefer Torah has to be, if it's missing one letter, a half a letter, it's not kosher. Every letter has to be written, physically written, in the parchment, properly written, and only then is it kosher. And even the biggest ignoramus can make a blessing, can come up and make a blessing, even if he doesn't understand the Word. And even the greatest Torah scholar really doesn't understand anything in the written Torah. It, it, it's all mystical, it's divine, it's godly. It's, it's about the writing. Writing and every letter has to be precise. In the oral Torah, it's, not, it's more the understanding. It's not so much the words and the letters, the exact words and letters. It doesn't have to be so precise. If the Talmud is missing a page, it's still kosher. It, it's only in the written Torah. Because in a sense, the holiness, it's like, it's like the difference between when you write words of wisdom... Or, when your mind gives birth to a feeling. Because you understand something, now I love. And because I love, that's why I'm going to speak about something that I love. So what's the relationship between the mind and the heart, when your mind gives birth to an emotion, or your mind and the, and the fingers writing the words? The fingers have no connection to the concept. You're just writing. It's called in Hebrew, Ma'avir. I'm just passing through. It's just a tool. It's not that the finger digests it, internalizes it, and then spits out the concept. No. The finger is just passing through my fingers. The finger has no clue what the concept is all about. And therefore it comes out pure. Whatever my mind dictates, the finger doesn't interfere. It comes out exactly the way my mind. It just passes through my fingers. Versus When your mind passes through your emotions, your mind causes you to feel. And because you feel, you start speaking about what you feel. Yes, so what's the original cause? Why are you speaking so animately and so passionately about the subject? It's because it's the understanding. But it's the understanding that gives birth to the emotions, that gives birth to to the speech. So what do you attribute the speech to? The emotions. Oh, look, look. How much emotion he puts into his speech, look how much passion, how much feeling he puts into the speech. The grandparent, the intellect is more of a, more remote, more distant now when the intellect goes through the emotion, the intellect is affected by the emotion. The intellect is, is changed by, by the emotion, and then, then it, in other words, the idea is processed through the emotional level, which is then expresses itself through speech. So the intellect is modified by the emotion Shaped by the emotion And it comes out The speech is shaped by the emotion Which is shaped by the, by the intellect It's like a teacher who teaches through an intermediary So the intermediary Because the teacher is too remote for his students So he has an intermediary So the intermediary first digests the concept He understands the teacher but he's not the same level as the teacher He digests the concept And then he transmits the concept on To those who are on a lower level To the students So this the idea passes through It doesn't just pass through The idea is internalized By this intermediary And then the intermediary Brings out that original concept On a lower level So it's shaped and it's formed And it's changed by By the intermediary Versus the fingers doesn't change anything. The finger has no understanding of, is not a vessel for intellect. It just passes through. It's passing through my fingers. Like a tape recorder. I'm just repeating whatever you say. 100%. No interference. No modification. No changing. It doesn't internalize it. It just passes through.
3: I disagree. I think one, you cannot write something down unless you internalize it, emotionally understand whatever. I mean, you can sit and talk all day they ask somebody to write a speech or what, what they did they don't have the knowledge, the ability, or process that they can't do it I think you're, 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 you're downplaying or diminishing no. the value of, the, of writing and the, in your presentation the way you're putting it you're putting the extreme on the emotion I don't think you're balancing the, the aspect of talent and absorption of knowledge to write yes. that's very difficult
1: yes, but it's, it's, it's the mind there's a person who has an ability, a talent intellectual ability to articulate and to find the right words to express it it's all in the mind but I'm talking about the fingers the fingers the, the, the talent to write is not in the fingers the talent to write is in the brain you have a talent to articulate yourself you have a talent to eloquently to write poetry to, 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 it's like magical you, 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 your words the way you form words almost magical in the way it touches another person yeah, that's
3: not, you can't do that emotionally you have to have structural knowledge to do that
1: yeah, but I'm saying, but, 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 it's, but it's all... It's, all it's, you. it's you. It's you. It's not your fingers. That talent is not in your fingers. <laughs> that talent is here. The fingers are just physical. I'm just writing with my fingers. It's not in your finger. The talent is here. You're comparing your
3: fingers to a pen. Exactly. The, uh, the yes, exactly. That's, that's all it is. Exactly.
1: The finger is just... It's like a tape recorder. It can do it. The finger is completely nullified to the brain or to the person. You want me to write? I'm writing. I'm like a second... I'm dictate, Dictate, write... It's like a dumb secretary does writing. The talent to write is internal. The writer is a writer. The writer has a certain talent. It's a certain yeah. talent to write. When the idea goes through an emotion, the emotion modifies the origin, it modifies, and by the time it comes out into your speech, you know when, when you're all passionate, you don't necessarily sense the whole, the grandfather that that, that caused the intellect. Now now you enter the passion and the emotion. Because over there, the intellect actually encloses itself in the emotion, and is modified by it. Just like that teacher who teaches through the intermediary, that intermediary takes that concept, puts it in his own words, and then it comes out. It comes out, you know, in a level that the students could receive. So when the intellectual concept is modified through the emotions, the intellectual concept is a little modified, and it comes out for, through via the emotions but when the, when the writer who mints words and he has these when it comes through the fingers the fingers don't mod, the fingers just the fingers the fingers the physical fingers don't modify anything the fingers come out exactly what your ideas will write exactly word for word yes exactly like a pen like a tape recorder just write word for word in a way it's like a person in the house you know the house the person is in the house does the house modify the person no but you know but the whole person is in the house the whole just like in the finger. The finger, on the other hand, is just a can do it. But your whole internal is expressed through the finger. The finger doesn't block anything. There's no blockage. The whole essence is in the finger. Exactly the way you thought and what you thought, it comes out exactly. Versus when intellect has to go through emotions, the emotions screen, block, conceal. What comes out, the original thought is not all revealed. It's it's what comes out is more the emotion so it, it's modified it doesn't, it has, so it doesn't have the whole essence of the original intellect just like when the brilliant teacher teaches through an intermediary as in the Talmudic times the teacher would have an intermediary what's called a maturgamon who would then teach the students by the time he digests it and he in turn like, like the Rebbe the Rebbe had chayzer people who memorized his talks and they would digest it and they would then give it over to the Hasidim it's not the same they internalize it first, and they're giving it over in their words, in their understanding, in their words. It's the concept of the Rebbe. They're not saying their own thing. Just like the emotion. The emotion, is not, the emotion ultimately originates in the intellect. It's not giving its own thing, but it, it's the emotion speaking. The emotion is a different world. It modifies it, it, it. And that's what you see in the speech, the passion and that fire. And, that the, and the, the original is a little modified. Just like the original brilliant teacher, his original brilliance is a little modified because it's going through this intermediary which internalizes it. While the finger doesn't internalize, the finger just passes through. It just passes through and it's an essence. Whatever you put in comes out, comes in, comes out. 100%. Versus when it goes in one ear and then it comes, and then it comes out through your mouth, you process it. So it's, it's not coming out pure. It, you already processed it. It's, it's, what you're getting is a little modified, a little processed, it's not, it's not 100%. So in a sense, the written Torah, which is physical, it's written letter for letter, word for word, in a sense you get the essence. It, it, because the scribe doesn't do anything, the scribe is just, is just writing. It's the letter, don't modify, don't change, it has to be perfect, exactly the way Hashem said it. Don't change even one iota. You go to any Torah scroll in the world for 3,320 years. The Yemenite community was cut off from the Russian community, the Georgian community for over 2,000 years. The Torah down to the last letter is exactly the same. Because that's the whole idea of the Torah. It's like it's physical. On one hand it's physical. It's the most physical. It's the lowest level. It's physical. It's tangible. But you know what? It's like the finger. Yes, the finger is very physical. But you know what? The finger transmits 100% there's no blockage there's no intermediate there's no the whole essence comes through so too the Torah Hashem says just pass on the whole Torah do exactly the way I said it don't no modification and no don't, no interference so in a sense the Torah is the holiest then comes the level of the Mishnah the oral tradition the Mishnah is already the law but it's more the law it's more the verdict the end result kosher not kosher guilty not guilty obligated not obligated pure or impure the bottom line the emotions I should attract, attract it to it or I should withdraw from it it's good, it's not good, good or evil it's you know, right or wrong these are all the emotional these are the, the, the verdict then comes in a deeper level is the Talmud, the reasoning behind it the logic behind it, the analysis why, why are we doing this why are we saying this, what's the difference between this and that that's already a higher level then you even have a higher level from that that's the world of Kabbalah that's the world of Atsilas so the, the Torah itself is divided into all these different levels so the, the Mishnah itself comes from the world of formation because that's the world of emotions and that's the world of right and wrong the Talmud itself comes from the world of creation the world of the intellect of an analysis, of in depth understanding, going deeper the world of Kabbalah comes from the world of emanation the divine, the mystical purely experiential and then the action the deed and the Sefer Torah the Torah scroll the written Torah comes from the world of action physically right like the fingers which in a sense really conveys the whole essence unadulterated that's why it's the holiest and he's going to explain now it doesn't mean God forbid that Talmud is holier than the Torah we know which book do you put on top of which which goes on top of all other books the
0: Torah
1: five books of the Torah and the Mishnah and the Gemara there's a hierarchy so, and here, here we're saying that the Torah comes from the world of action the lowest of all the worlds
3: you can reverse that thinking and say writing is the closest form to God what you're trying to get close to God all the time because God wrote the Torah and Moshe Rebbe wrote the Torah the second Torah you know what I'm saying but you can use that logic that writing is really the essence and you're supporting my arguments I'm just spinning it around. I'm just turning it around. You took it, you know, writing is the least, and you went this way. I turn around. It's closer. You want to get closer to God. Writing is closer. I'm saying writing Torah, it's closer to God than just intellectualizing emotionally. Well, right. You're right, and you're right, and we're all right. No.
1: But that actually, they go hand Not only isn't that a contradiction, they go hand in hand. Because fingers are like the, the lowest in a certain sense it's the highest because fingers don't there's no adulteration there's no it's, it's, pure. it's pure it's pure exactly exactly law. it's pure exactly not only isn't the country not only aren't we arguing we're saying the same thing <laughs> and for that very same reason because fingers are the least so the fingers just, it's just I it can't do it it's just pure you're getting the whole essence unadulterated pure Verses in the Talmud, you're getting getting ready. It's, you're internalizing. You're working through a limited. You're working through your mind, or the emotional in the world of the Mishnah. So here it's already changed. Here it's already modified. It's not as pure, and that's the point that he's going to make in the in the second half of the uh, note that we're going to learn now. That when you say that the world is the world of action, it seems to be like it's the lowest. On the contrary, it's because it comes from such a high level. That's why the Torah could reach even into the world of action. The greater something is, the lower it can reach. The greatest teacher, could, Einstein, could explain himself to a five-year-old child. The university professor could only talk to high-level students. You know why? Because he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He's not a master. He doesn't really understand the subject matter. The true master, King Solomon, was able to speak to the fools. But he was able to explain it even to the most foolish because he was so brilliant. The greater you are, the true master, that's why the Baal Shemta was able to take the Kabbalah, which was hidden and concealed for thousands of years, and was able to popularize it and make it available and accessible to anyone. That's why he was called the master of the good name. Only a true master can take the deepest, and that's really the whole brilliance of advertising. You know, people, people don't realize there's a lot of brilliance in advertising. To be able to communicate simple, the deepest and the simple level, takes the greatest genius. Only Rashi could write Rashi. Only the greatest master and genius could write something simple that even a five-year-old child, that's so obvious even a five-year-old child can grasp. Someone who's not a master, you notice all the great classics, all the world classics, were written on a ninth grade level, including the Bible. When you meet a highfalutin book, written by a highfalutin author, who'll be the first to tell you how highfalutin he is, you're dealing with someone who's very limited. (laughs) As they say in Hebrew, if you can't explain it, you don't understand it. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> Very simple. Y- your range is so limited. So the fact that the written Torah is not limited, it's a range, it's unlimited, it can even reach, even into the physical, into a scroll, into the lowest level, it shows that how infinite it is, how, how pure, how core and essential it is. Versus the Talmud is limited. The Talmud could only reach only someone who has a mind, only the world of intellect. Well, the Mishnah could only reach someone who's living in the world of emotions the Kabbalists could only reach the select few who live in the world of Attilas. it's a limitation on the contrary it shows that it's not so core and essential that's where the Talmud says that that the simple that's the deepest the most profoundest that's, that's the foundation because the fact that it can reach such a level, that it can even reach to the five-year-old, to the simplest level, the basic elementary level, that shows it comes from the highest level. It shows how core and essential it is, and how profound, and how deep it is. On the contrary, the exact opposite of the way it appears to be. It appears to be the lowest. But really what's lowest is really the highest. Okay, continue.
0: This does not mean, however, that the union, effected by the study of Mishnah, for example, takes place only in Yitzira and that affected by study of Scripture only in Asiya, etc. Were this the intention, an obvious difficulty would arise. Scripture is holier than Mishnah, as indicated by the law that one may place the Scriptures on top of the book of Mishnah, but not vice versa, and Mishnah holier than Talmud. Why then should the revelation of Ein-Soph Light, created by their respective study, be in reverse order, with Talmud the least holy of the three, effecting a revelation in Berea the highest of the three worlds we must perforce say that this means that by the study of scripture the union and revelation of the blessed Soul Sof light extends from Atzila downward till the world of Asiya through study of Mishnah only till Yitzira and through Talmud only till Berea for all of them scripture, Mishnah and Talmud are in Atzila and effect the union and revelation there. The difference between them lies only in how far from Atzilut the impact of the study reaches. Kabbalah, however, affects the union and revelation in Atzilut that does not extend at all to the lower worlds, Uliya, Yetira, or Asiya, as is written in previous Bible.
1: End of note. Now let's conclude the chapter, chapter 40, and conclude this part of the discussion. And he's going to ask the question, he says, how can we say that love and fear of God are only wings, and they're not the bird itself, they're not like essential, um, when love and fear of God are also mitzvah, they're also a mitzvah, just like there's a mitzvah to put on tefillin, there's a mitzvah to love Hashem and to fear Hashem, one of the 613 mitzvah. So what's the difference? Why are they any different than any other mitzvah? How can you call it a bur- a wing which is not not part of the bird? It is part of the bird. It's one of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvah.
2: Although fear and love are also among the six hundred and thirteen mitzvah, they are nevertheless described as mere wings for other mitzvah, because the goal of love is the service of Hashem resulting from this love. Its purpose lies not in itself, but in its role as motivation for serving Hashem via the mitzvah. For this reason, it is likened to wings, which are secondary to the bird itself.
1: She says, yes, there is a mitzvah to love Hashem, and there is a mitzvah to be in order of Hashem, but what's the purpose of the mitzvah? Unlike all the other mitzvah, the other mitzvah, the purpose is in themselves. Love and awe. the purpose is, like he said in chapters 4, in order for a Jew to properly do all 248 positive mitzvah, and to do them properly, and to do them beautifully, you have to be motivated by a sense of love for Hashem. Because if you don't have a love in your heart and you're just forcing yourself to do it, at the end of the day you're going to stop doing it, and you're going to start cutting down on the mitzvah and it gets start shrinking. And so the only th- reason that you're really going to do the mitzvah, the motivation is going to lead you to do the mitzvah, is a love of Hashem and vice versa. In order to fulfill the 365 prohibitions, to be careful about not violating the 365. You have to be motivated by sense of fear, a sense of awe of Hashem. I don't want to trespass, I don't want to transgress. I don't want to violate or disconnect myself from the divine. Unless a person has that conscious sense of awe of Hashem, you're going to be lax. You will fall through. You're not going to f- properly fulfill the 365 don'ts. So you need this as a motivation. That is the motivation to do all the other mitzvah. So they are like wings. In other words, it's not an end in itself. They're here to serve the bird. They're here to cause you to keep the bird intact, to keep the bird healthy, to cause the bird to soar. Not as an end in itself. In other words, a person shouldn't think that the goal is I should love God that's the classical religious understanding and that's and Judaism is counter-revolutionary Judaism is counter-intuitive Judaism says that's not so people think that it's an end in itself I want to sit and love God I enjoy loving God it's an end in itself the fact that I love God and I feel for God and I'm thinking about God what more do I need let me spend all day and just wallowing in my love of God what more do I need? and that's for many religious people that's the ultimate goal communion with God consciously connecting with God experiencing God being one with God higher levels of consciousness that's all I need I don't need anything else but not for a Jew love and awe is just means to an end it's a wing it's a means it's not an end There are many Jews who understood that the mitzvot are a means to the end. The end is to love God. How do you get a Jew to love God? By doing mitzvot. The Altar Rebbe says, no. On the contrary, the end is to do the mitzvah. That's the end. That's the bird. That's the divinity. That's where you touch the divine. That and only through that. Only through the deed. The the, the mitzvah. But how do you get there? You need that love. Without the love, without the spirituality, without the love, the mitzvah is dead. There's no life, there's no passion. It's like the difference in a person speaks when he's talking about a subject that he loves and cares about. You know, or he talks about something he couldn't care less about. You, you, you fall asleep and the speaker falls asleep. Imagine when someone speaks about something that he passionately cares about. There's rent control is going up or whatever. It's, it's an eloquent speech, it's a fiery speech, there's life, there's soul, you know, he's alive, he's awake, everyone that's listening is awake. That's, that's what God wants. God wants the mitzvah to be alive. So He told us, He commanded us to love Hashem. Not as an end in itself, to wallow in love. Because if you just wallow in love, you're on an ego trip. It has nothing to do with Hashem. It makes you feel good. It feels good to be in love. It feels good to love. It, it fulfills you. So a person who stops there and says, oh, I'm so, I am feel my heart is so filled with love for God for the divine. And he stops there. It's the ultimate ego trip. Spirituality is the ultimate ego trip. I'm not thinking about Hashem. So it's not an end in itself. It's not about you. It's about your relationship with Hashem. But in order to do the mitzvah properly, you have to feel this relationship. You have to love this relationship. You have to be alive. You have to be illuminated. You have to be spiritual. You have to be conscious. You have to be focused. So that's the means so spirituality is a means in order to get you to do the mitzvah and to do the mitzvah properly, passionately and with vitality. So don't confuse. al Rebbe says it's a very important point here. It's a very essential point. It's a wing. Yes, it's one of the mitzvah, but what's the purpose of that love? Not as an end in itself. Purpose is in order to, in order to get you to do the mitzvah and to get you to do the mitzvah properly and the mitzvah should be infused with life, with passion, with vitality. He says, love without without service, i.e. a love that is
4: not a means to an end, but an end in itself, is a love which experiences delights, a supremely high level of love in which one delights in godliness. This is the nature of the world to come and thus constitutes reward, i.e. such love for Hashem is actually a foretaste and part of the reward to be given in the world to come. It does not in itself represent service of
1: Hashem. After Mashiach will come, especially during the resurrection, we'll reach a level where, where we have like a sexual communion with God. We become intimate with God. We become inseparable with God. We, our whole being just becomes one with Hashem. That's, that, that's an end in itself. That's, we become so one with God, we become completely inseparable from God. Completely egoless. And just one with God like an inherent connection, an innate connection, where you can't separate us from Hashem, but that's, that's almost like a reward that comes after we serve Hashem. That type of love is an end in it. So that type of love, it's not an ego. It's complete egolessness. It's complete pleasure. Your whole being has become sublimated. Your whole being has become completely transformed. Your whole being becomes God. That's, that's a level, that's a taste of the future. Only the greatest tzaddikim, like Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, and the greatest tzaddikim had a taste of that in this world. A taste of the future. There were souls of the future. Mashiach will come, then we'll all be in that level. So that's more like a reward that comes after the service. Okay, but it is written.
4: But it is written today to do them, i.e. today, this life in the time of action and service, and tomorrow in the world to come to receive their reward. Thus in this life the time of service the love that leads to service is the love most prized
1: like he explained Mashiach will come there will be a total transformation you know we learned earlier in this chapter that the reason why we need the mitzvah to be done with intent because without that the mitzvah is too narrow the mitzvah is too limited the physical world is just too narrow it's just too tiny it's like a little pinhole you can't put in too much light into this world. It's just, there's no light. There's no life in this world. This world is dead. This world is action. It's like a stone. You don't see any life in the stone. So there's very limited amount of energy which this world can take. So if you want the mitzvah to have energy, you have to inject in the mitzvah love and awe and intent and purpose and, and consciousness and higher levels of consciousness and depth and sincerity and sensitivity. That's the only thing that can. Cause the mitzvah to soar and could bring energy and light into this world. Otherwise, this world per se is just too limited, too narrow. He said, until Mashiach comes. Mashiach will come, and that's how we know Mashiach hasn't come yet, if anyone has any doubts. <laughs> Mashiach will come, there will be a total transformation. There will be a brilliant illumination, like nothing that exists in the highest world and the highest levels of consciousness. Much more intense much more powerful than any revelation in the highest worlds, in the world of emanation and this will all happen in this physical world can you imagine this physical world would be completely transformed to be this most intense powerful revelation complete transformation which never happened yet no one deludes himself that that, that that even started to happen unless, unless maybe people have these experiences but I, I can speak for myself <laughs> it hasn't happened yet Walk down Park Avenue, we don't see this intense revelation of godliness. Not yet. So when Mashiach comes, when there will be this intense transformation, intense revelation of godliness, then you'll have this level of pleasure and this level of love of pleasure. But today, in today's reality, that's not the love that we're talking about. That's not the mitzvah. The Torah says, love Hashem and be in awe oh, of Hashem. We're not talking about that level of love, which, which is in the future, or a few individuals like the patriarchs, the matriarchs had a taste of the future, They were souls of the future. There were one or two or three, one in one in every generation. The Rebbe, the B'ashem, the Rajbi. We're not talking about that. The Torah, when Torah says, love Hashem. We're talking about a love that helps you serve Hashem. An emotional love. Not this pure, absolute love, which is... Transformational, and your whole core and essence, and your whole being is sublime and sublimated, and completely one with Hashem. We're not talking about that love. We're talking about the love that motivates you to want that draws you towards godliness, that you're attracted to godliness, and you want to connect, and you want to relate. So that's what he says. Uh, you want to continue He, whoever was not attained, he
5: whoever was not attained this level of seven uh, fourth foretaste of the world to come. has not reached the level of a love which experiences delight, but whose soul yet yearns and thirsts for God and goes out of Him all day long, and he does not quench his thirst for godliness with the water of Toa that is in front of him. Such a person is comparable to one who stands in a river and cries, Water, water to drink. Thus the prophet laments over him, Oh, all of you who thirst go to the water. On which our sages comment that water, to water so the
1: sages say the prophet is referring to if you're thirsty, go drink wor- water. Water refers to Taita, water is compared to Taita. So if you're thirsty, go drink Taita. So again, the question is obviously, if you're thirsty for Taita, go learn Taita. Who's stopping you? So, what the, what the prophet is saying here, and why we need the prophet to tell us, someone who's thirsty for godliness. So if you're thirsty for godliness, you're hungry for godliness, you're thirsty for godliness, you would think, let me sit and bask in my love of God. Let me luxuriate in my love of God. Let me fill my heart with love. And I'm happy, I'm a happy man. I feel the love, I can feel it. I love, I love being in love. I feel close to Hashem, I feel attracted to Hashem. It's beautiful, it's a beautiful feeling. It's fulfilling. So the prophet cries, fool. You're hungry for God and you're going to stay with your love for God. The only way to satisfy that hunger is by take a gemara and go learn. Take a Torah scroll and learn. Do a mitzvah. Because the, the love is a means to an end. It's not an end in itself. The love is just the wings. But if all you have are going to wing the wings, then you have nothing. If the wings lead you to the bird and it helps the bird fly then you have something. The Torah that you learn is infused with a sense of holiness, a sense of godliness, a sense of excitement and thrill that I'm doing something divine, I'm touching the divine, and I'm being intimate with the divine. Then the mitzvot are refined. The mitzvot refine you. The mitzvot soar. They cause your soul to soar. It elevates you. It transforms you. It refines you. That's That's the purpose of the love. But if the love becomes an end in itself, then it's counterproductive. That's the danger of spirituality. That's, that was the danger of the Kabbalah. People would take it very wrongly. It would become an end in itself. As many, we don't have to mention the names, but as they have totally distorted the whole Kabbalah, it come an end in itself, divorced of Judaism, divorced of Torah, divorced of mitzvah, divorced of Jews. They forgot what it's all about. It's not. It's not a wing. A wing? Okay. So you have wings. What do you have with wings? What are you going to do with wings? <laughs> so I'm
3: um, looking okay, you, it, you speak of wings, you, you know love and free, love and awe. That makes the bird functional. Yes. What
1: you're saying. Yes, it but right. The body, it makes the body exactly. Functional. Exactly.
3: And then, you know, like spirituality without faith,
1: without what, action.
3: Is what's coming today is, is more the privatization of, of faith, and that's completely against Torah. And that's what today's society does. Yes. The Kabbalah. Yes. The Kabbalah the term spirituality has
4: encompassed
1: faith, literally does. it does not include faith. Right. They themselves say it. They've completely divorced from Judaism. We have nothing to do with Judaism. We're, we're, we transcend Judaism. They're right. That's nothing to do with Judaism. This is, this is wings without a bird. It's, it's individualizing the faith, and that's, that's, that, that's not the reality. The reality of the objective reality of the faith, the objective reality of the truth of the faith which is transcends us. It's greater than the individual. It's about Hashem. It's not about you. Then spirituality is the ultimate ego trip. If you, if, you're, if you enjoy the act of loving, you love Hashem so much and you love being in love, it's not about Hashem. It's about you. It fulfills you. That's what the Navi is crying. Here you're crying, I love God, I'm looking for God. Really? Are you looking for God? Or are you looking for yourself? it's fulfilling your own fulfillment it fulfills you to feel fulfilled to feel close to God it has nothing to do with God this is the proof how do I know if I'm really thinking about God or I'm thinking about myself if you stop with the love and you're happy with the love and you're in love with being in love and you have no time to study Torah do the mitzvah then, uh, then it's about you it's an ego trip it has nothing to do with God don't delude yourself be honest if you're really hungry for God do what God wants touch the divine take out the gemata and learn do the mitzvah. That's the only way. And then the, the wing is serving its purpose. Then the wing is productive. Then the wing is part of the whole picture. Okay. Let, let's study conclude. Of Kabbalah. Yeah. Study Kabbalah is the world of Atsilas, That's the world of emanation. And uh, studying Kabbalah is, helps a person do the mitzvah in the highest form possible egolessness, experience godliness coming with the vakut, with God one with God, but again it's also a means to an end, again if, if, if the Kabbalah becomes an end in itself, then, then it's a wing it's nothing, absolutely nothing it's when it's in the proper context, that's why all the greatest Kabbalists all the greatest Jewish Kabbalists were the greatest legal authorities the Beis Yosef, Rabbi Yosef Karo, they were the Ramah there was no academy. God forbid, it's not like war. there's a body and a soul so of course you need the soul. But without the body you have nothing. It, and the body is what matters. The body is the bird. But when you have the body and then you have a soul, wow! then you have a dynamic, vibrant, alive Jew. But if you don't have the Jew, you don't have the Judaism, you don't have the faith, you don't have the deed, you don't have the way of life, the daily life, the daily life of a Jew, thinking like a Jew, and speaking like a Jew, and acting like a Jew 24-7, then, then, then that's what the Navi is crying, that's what the prophet is lamenting. Whoa. Here you're crying, I'm hungry for spirituality, I'm hungry for God. God has nothing to do with it. It's ego. ego. Let's conclude. they finish the chapter. These
0: words are addressed to one who thirsts for God. And the prophet tells him that he must quench the thirst of his love by studying and practicing the Torah.
1: purpose of love, which is to study Torah and do the mitzvah. This matter is discussed at length, elsewhere at length. The Rebbe would always remind us that we are a unique generation. There's never been a generation like ours, and there never will be. We are the transitional generation, the last generation of gullus, of exile. And we will be the first generation of geula, of redemption. What an awesome privilege we have, and what a sacred responsibility we carry on our shoulders. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to bring the curtain down on the Golas once and for all? Well Mashiach himself gave the secret away. in his famous encounter with the Balshamta, he tells the Balshamta that when your wellsprings and the teachings of Hasidus will spread to every corner of the world, then and only then will Mashiach come. And therefore the Alter Rebbe sacrificed his life to carry out this directive to the Baal Shem by writing and publishing the Tanya. And all the Rebbis sacrifice themselves to publicize and to expound on the teachings of the Tanya. And the Rebbe, the Seventh, the Shabbos of all the Rebus published over 6,000 Tanyas literally in every city of the world. And now, for the first time in history, through lessonsintanya.com, Tanya in Depth is available and accessible 24 6 to hundreds of thousands, Jews as well as non Jews, in dozens of countries all around the world. Now that you've had the personal experience and the pleasure, study the Tanya we ask you to please partner with us to make the entire Tanya available and easily accessible to each and every Jew and to the entire world please help turn the wish of Mashiach the dream of the Alter Rebbe and the vision of the Rebbe into a reality on behalf of all of us here at LessonsInTanya.com thank you for listening thank you And a special thank you for the good deed that you're about to do. In honor of your tzedakah, we will merit the coming of Mashiach now, when we'll learn Tanya from the Rebbe himself.